The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, JV. Thanks for being here. We're looking forward to a great show tonight. We've got returning guest, Lon Strickler, joining us. He is the authority on winged cryptids, particularly winged humanoid cryptids. As most of you know who've listened to this program for some time, you know that um, one of my favorite topics is the Mothman story. Well, the Mothman is one of those winged humanoid cryptids, and we're going to talk a little bit about Mothman, but we're going to talk more uh, intensely about uh, sightings that are more contemporary, more recent than the Mothman sightings of what now, 60 years ago almost? No, no, 50 years ago anyway, right? Do my math. Yeah, 55, 53 years ago or so. And Lon has written extensively about the topic, so it's going to be a great discussion. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, the best way to participate in any of it, if you're new to the show, is to go to the YouTube channel and subscribe. Just look for JV Johnson on YouTube, and when you find it, hit the subscribe button, and you will automatically then be part of our online community. You can also hit the notification icon. That allows you to know, uh, be notified when we go live with our live stream or when we upload bonus content. And then also find the podcast version of the show. That's available on all major podcast distribution platforms. And the podcast version is Beyond Reality Paranormal, just in case it's a little uncertain. Beyond Reality Paranormal is the podcast name of the podcast. And those downloads are terrific, and thank you to everybody who listens. I think I mentioned the other night we've got listeners all around the world for, of the podcast, and that's really exciting. I'd love to hear more from our international listeners. I would really like to know uh, what some of these topics mean to an international community. I'd like to know uh, what, you know, things like what we're going to be talking about tonight, winged humanoids. Maybe you've got local legends surrounding some of these topics we wouldn't know about them necessarily i mean certain people do and we talk about some of this stuff but you probably have a better handle on it and we'd like to know about it so send send an email uh to our producer and uh let us know about this one maybe we'll uh, we'll be able to get in contact with you and uh, get some more information about it it's slick eddie edwards and that's the the uh email address slick eddie edwards eddie is spelled e-d-d-y slick eddie edwards at gmail dot com that's the way to get in touch with us. love to hear uh from our international listeners let's see we've got a full night of discussion about winged cryptids tonight so we're going to get right to it i'm going to take a break when we come back we will start our discussion with lon strickler returning guest tonight on beyond reality please support the program go to patreon.com slash joha that's j-o-h-a-w when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We've got a terrific conversation ready to uh, take place tonight. Our guest is a returning guest. Lon Strickler is a Fortean researcher, also an author. Really uh, one of the experts on winged cryptids. In fact, uh, many variations of cryptids as well. His website is phantomsandmonsters.com. He's got a number of books to his credit, including the recently published 
Winged Cryptids, Humanoids, Monsters, and Anomalous Creatures Casebook. So we're going to be talking about all of that. Uh, Lon, welcome back to Beyond Reality. It's a real honor to have you back here tonight. Okay, Lon, can you hear me? Yes, I can. There you are. It's an honor to have you back with us tonight. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. You know, I I love talking about um, this particular topic. And as I mentioned in my opening segment, one of my favorite topics to talk about at all is the Mothman story. And we're going to get into that a little bit. But you've got other sightings that you want to talk about, things that are more recent, more contemporary. But before we get into that, one of the things that I, I, I really just want to say I'm a bit jealous of is that you grew up and have returned to the Gettysburg, Pennsylvania area. That is such a beautiful part of the country, and I'm such a fan of Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's something you don't appreciate, I guess, when you're young. But uh, when you uh, pack up, move out, and you're away for almost 40 years, then come back, you appreciate it a lot more. Yeah, it's it's just it's just beautiful country. You guys have a nice mix of seasons too. I'm up in upstate New York. We've got a pretty harsh winter that seems to last eight nine months at times. <laughs> you guys are a little more moderate than us, but I do love Gettysburg. In fact, um, I've been uh, keeping an eye on the website website for the Gettysburg Bike Week, and uh, I'm hoping that that event is still on for July, given everything that's going on around us. Because I went last year, and it's just such a great time. Well, they're opening the park up tomorrow, and uh, you know they're going to be doing limited tours. So well, that's a good sign. We have to wait. We have to wait and see. I mean, you know, it's uh, it's basically the lifeblood of this part of the country. So we'll see what happens. With yeah, it. yeah, and I, I sympathize with that because I'm in Cooperstown, New York. Our life's blood is uh, baseball tourism, and they've already canceled. Uh, it's called the Cooperstown Dreams Park, and it's a it's a facility that hosts something like ninety six youth teams a week, plus all of their families, and uh, none of them will be coming this year. So we're looking at a very very quiet summer in Cooperstown, New York, and it's going to hurt a lot of the businesses. But that's not what we're here to talk about. When did you start become becoming interested in cryptids of any kind? Well. You know, first of all, I was involved with, uh, you know, looking at spirits and hauntings and such. I did that for a long time. Uh, even when after, right, at, right after high school, I got into doing that back in the 70s. And, you know, back then when you're a paranormal, you tell somebody you're a paranormal investigator, they look at you like you're kind of weird. But uh, it's not like it is today. Right. But in 1981, I had an encounter with a Bigfoot in Sykesville, Maryland. Oh, wow. And, yeah, and that is what kind of set it off for me. I, you know, I was aware of Bigfoot. You know, I've heard of it, you know, but by that time, I was mostly into just UFOs and and hauntings. So, uh, you know, when that occurred, I really jumped in headfirst with it and started doing my own personal investigations. Then um, I, I also had a winged humanoid encounter in 1988. So, uh, and that's in the book, described in the book. And uh, that really got me into the Mothman phenomena and, you know, winged humanoids. And ever since then, I've really been, in- been interested in it. Yeah, so tell me about this Bigfoot encounter, which really kicked off a lot of this for you. Was it a was it a face to face encounter? Was it was it uh, noises? Um, was it a, a full presence? What happened? 
Well, this was in May 9th, 1981. It was about 10 o'clock in the morning. I was on the south branch of the Patapsco River fly fishing. And uh, I was standing in the river. And I noticed across the uh, across the river in the weeds, was a, there was a, a dog moving in and out. You know, I just didn't pay him any mind. So when I heard the dog yelp, then I looked over again. And when that happened, something large and hairy stood up in the weeds. And when I looked at it, and I was maybe about, oh, I don't know, maybe 25 to 30 yards from it at this point. So when it stood up, I I just see it from maybe mid torso up because the weeds were so high and thick. But uh, it moved to my left, walked out of the weeds, and was standing there looking at me. Mm. And uh, it was definitely a male. It was about seven foot, uh, very broad-shouldered, had a lot of hair all over the body. But the face was what I described as Neanderthal-looking. It looked more human than it did like an ape. And uh, I guess we locked glances for between five and ten seconds. And I had waiters on, so I wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. And uh, this thing just turned on a dime and walked up into the woods. And when that occurred, you know, of course, I I thought maybe this might have been a Bigfoot. I don't know what I thought it was at the time. You know, my jaw was hanging in the water by then. And I got up. You know, got out of the water, got into my car, and I drove into town, which was about less than a mile away from where I was. Got on the phone and called the local police. Well, they told me, go back to where it happened, and we'll have somebody meet you there. Well, it was no more than a three- or four-minute drive back. Mm-hmm. And when I got back, they already had a, bar- a barrier across the road and there was a Maryland State Police officer standing there. Wow. Yeah. And uh, when I pulled up, I told him, I said, look, I'm the one that made a call. They told me, to, you know, come back here. Well, he said, you can't be here. You got to turn around and leave. And I kind of argued with him a bit, but I turned around and went back home. So, I, you know, and I lived in Sykesville at the time. I lived right there. So I, I went ahead and went home, stayed at home about an hour. Then I got curious, so I decided to, to go on back. So I drove back, and, I mean, there were cars everywhere. I mean, this place was packed with people. When I finally parked and walked up to the barrier, there was a Howard County police officer standing there then. And I asked him what was going on, and he said, kind of laughingly said somebody saw a Bigfoot. Well, mm. I I didn't tell him I was the one that made the report, so... <laughs> I just stood there and watched. And look, they had people going in and out everywhere. They had dogs with them. I'd say there were probably five or six of them in the area sniffing around. Uh, They had a big white tent set up on the opposite bank on the north side. And it was police officers and feds because back then the feds used to drive those black wagoneers. And they had two of those sitting there. So, and also heard helicopter, didn't see a helicopter, but I heard it. You know, this was very interesting, very shocking. All these people showed up at one time. I did find out later 
that there had been a report the same day in Marriageville, which is about three miles downstream from where I was. And some woman had made a had made a call in that she saw this thing. But why the authorities reacted the way they did, I really never have gotten an answer to that. Yeah, I've, that's not a very common uh, official or government response to a sighting report. What what makes you think they responded that way? You must have some suspicions. Yeah, I do. I, you know, that part of the country, you know, the Baltimore, Washington metro area, um, there's a lot of government facilities that we really have no idea what's going on there. And uh, along that Patapsco River, there are a number of places that that seem to be facilities, but we're not quite sure what they are or what they were. Right. I don't know if they this thing had possibly been something that has escaped or got away from them. Mm. But, uh, you know, their response was just drastic. And, uh, you know, it made a big uproar. But the thing is, after it happened, I had to called the the, the uh, television stations in Baltimore, three of them at the time, about what was going on. They were really interested. They wanted to talk to me, but they wanted to get some insight. Well, I got back to them eventually about four days later, and none of them wanted to talk to me. And, in fact, the uh, the local police, op- police department, Sykesville Police Department, had no record of my call and, and didn't even want to talk about it either. Though I did have a, a local police officer tell me years later that he was in on the search and he verified everything that happened. So it was hushed up, and uh, I, you know, but I still don't know what really happened. I'm not going to ask you how you knew it was definitely a male, but <laughs> when you had this eye, well, to what eye- you're thinking is right. <laughs> <laughs> when you had this eye to eye contact with this creature, did you feel threatened at all? No, no, I, I didn't feel threatened. Uh, I was just shocked more than anything else. And, and the weird thing was, it was making a kind of a ticking sound which I, I found out later it was most likely gnashing its teeth. I've heard oh, other yeah. give that uh, description as well. And there was a slight odor, even though it was maybe 40, 50 feet away from me. I, it was kind of like a fox urine smell. So I, don't, I, I assume it came from that, but I wasn't sure. But no, I didn't really feel threatened. I was just shocked. And after that event, it was only a few years later that you uh, had another uh, incident where you encountered a winged creature. Tell us about that one. Yeah, that was kind of weird. I uh, In 1988, it was the fall of 1988, I happened, and I was still living in Balt- near Baltimore, I happened to run into a friend of mine, somebody I went to school with and was in Boy Scouts with together. And uh, I ran into him in Baltimore, and we sat down, had lunch, and we were talking. And he he, he was actually aware of my paranormal interest because when we were kids, he and I used to sneak on the battlefield and camp out oh, at cool. night. Yeah. Uh, so he was aware of what was going on, and we experienced a few things together over those years. So anyway, we... Uh, he was telling me, he said, you know, look, there, there's been some things going on at Camp Conewago. Some of the troops for the past couple of months <clears throat> have been um, experiencing some strange things, but in particular, 
they've been hearing these these loud screeching sounds. And it scared a bunch of them out of the woods, and they packed up and left. And he said, a friend of mine and I are going to be going there next weekend and wanted to know if I wanted to tag along. I said, sure. So, of course, we met the next Friday at Camp Conewago. Now, this campsite is in Adams County, Pennsylvania, not far from where I live now. And, um, you know, I was very familiar with the place. You spent a lot of time there as a kid. Well, anyway. We got, you know, I met up with these guys and we, you know, walked into the, hiked into the woods and set up camp and we were all set up. I had three tents, had a fire going, I guess about six or seven in the evening. So by that time we decided to stick around and see if we, you know, hear anything, see anything or whatever. So it was an uneventful night. We, uh, next morning when we all woke up, we were sitting around the fire, and his friend told me, and he said, did you hear something moving about in the campsite? And I did. I had heard footsteps, but I thought it was just one of those guys getting up to relieve themselves or whatever, and I didn't think much about it. But there was nothing disturbed in the campsite, so, you know, we didn't give it a second thought. So, anyway, we spent the whole day going in and out of the woods. We hiked a long way. In fact, we were going about six hours, maybe. And uh, when we got back to camp, we, you know, got the fire going again, started making dinner. And we spent most of the evening sitting around talking about football, I think. And um, I guess it was get, it was getting late. And uh, we heard this screeching sound about 11 o'clock that night. And at first, you know, I thought it was maybe an animal or something. You know, there's a lot of game around there, so... But, you know, we we were waiting for it to happen again. Well, a little bit later, it did. And this time it sounded like a um, like a child screaming. It was it was that distinct. And really? uh, yeah, and uh, we were kind of freaked by that. And so we decided then that we were going to stay up tonight, maybe see something, hear some more. So we did. So we were sitting around the fire talking and I guess about. A little before one, it was a couple hours after the first time, I got up and started walking around and just stretched my legs. And I got this feeling like something was watching us. You know, I didn't see anything, but I had this feeling. You sensed it, yeah. Yeah, and um, I went back to the fire. I told those guys, look, let's get up and go up the trail a bit. You know, I just had a feeling maybe, you know, something was hanging about. So we got our flashlights got on the trail, and, you know, we were not more than 50 foot away from the campsite, and we all noticed at the same time these two red eyes standing. Something was standing in the creek Ooh. to our right, and the creek, at this time the creek was really shallow, and there was enough moonlight that we could make out a, a dark figure standing in the creek. We estimated it was about six foot in height, but these these real bright red eyes were looking our direction. And by the time we got the flashlights on this thing, it just suddenly swooshed jettison up into the air quickly. And as it reached its apex, it let out a scream. And then screamed again and took off as we, you know, we could hear it fading and away. Th- and that was the same sound you had heard previously? Did you, could you connect it? Yeah, the exact same sound. And uh, so we got back to the campsite. We're sitting around. 
uh, we were all shook up. I, but my my friend was he was definitely shook. He wasn't even talking. So the other guy and I were talking. He said, "You notice anything on its back?" And I did. I had noticed some structures on its back, but I never saw any wings unfold or unfurl. So, um, and if if it you know they were there, but I don't think it had anything to do with this thing being able to jettison it straight up in the air as quickly as it did. It was really bizarre. Uh, so eventually, those two left the area. They left the campsite. They wanted to sleep up in the uh, the administration building on the camp on the campground. Mm-hmm. I stuck around. I wanted to see what this thing was. I was hoping it would come back. And, uh, but it didn't, you know, the rest of the night was uneventful. So, you know, that happened in 88. You know, I started to blog in 2005. Now, I'd only told a few people about this at the time. So I started to blog in 2005. And around 2008, I wrote a, you know, I wrote an article about the incident. And when I did that, I got some response. I had a gentleman who lived, uh, upstream from the location at a place called Dick's Dam. And he was saying that he had been hearing this screaming for years. Now, this was like 20 years after my encounter. So uh, not long after he contacted me, I got another email from a uh, scoutmaster who told me that he and his troop had been at Camp Conewaga, not far from where we had camped out, had been there and his scouts had been out hiking on the trail and they came running back swearing. They saw what they called a dragon. And, you know, he thought they were playing, playing games when he pulled his leg and he didn't give it much thought, but he did say that they were shook. So he thought they may have seen something natural and just, you know, didn't understand what it was. But when he saw what I had posted, then he started thinking about it. And now since, now since that time, uh, I've had five other reports along the uh, along the Conewaga Creek. The creek extends another 15 miles. It goes west and east, turns around east, and goes into the Susquehanna River. And I've had five other sightings along that stretch, over, you know, over the years. So, and I think the last sighting was about three years ago. Well, um, I'm not sure if you're aware of this. You probably are, but where I am in Cooperstown, New York, is actually the the where the Susquehanna River starts. Um, right. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you about uh, the screeching sound, though, because one of the things that some of the reports of the Mothman sightings uh, relate to is an owl-like form. Owls screech. Do you make any connection there? You know, I don't know. I, you know, as far as what we have, I've heard, you know, from previous Mothman sightings and the screeching sounds, I've, I've never really had that comparison, though in Chicago, when these, these started, we, people started seeing these in, in 2017, there were mentions of screeching sounds, but none of them had mentioned anything about sounding like an owl, even though a couple of sightings, they uh, just did describe this as looking like a large owl. Right. This this area of um, the country that we're talking about, b- besides your sightings, is it prone to sightings like this? What, in South Central Pennsylvania? South Central Pennsylvania and, and down into Maryland. 
Yeah, yeah. There, there are a, a lot of weird things going around here. Um, another investigator who lives near me is Timothy Renner, and uh, he's part of the uh, Phantoms of Monsters Fortune research team as well. But he's an independent researcher, and he also writes several books. And uh, he has documented a lot of weird stuff as well. So, yeah, we, there have been several winged humanoid sightings in this this general area for years. Uh, Bigfoot sightings, upright canine sightings, yeah, it, it does. It kind of runs the gamut, but, uh, this, you know, particularly along the Susquehanna River from where it, uh, you know, from York County down across the border into Hartford County, there, there have been a lot of sightings, of, especially Bigfoot over the years. Now, um, as you started to become interested in these winged creatures, uh, winged cryptids specifically, uh, did you maintain a focus on humanoid type, or did you just anything that had wings on it that was a little bit odd you looked into? Yeah, I looked into everything. I wasn't picky about what I was taking as far as reports <laughs> go. You know, and as you can see in the book, I all those all those uh, cases in the book were actual reports sent to me and reports I actually looked into. So, yeah, there have been quite a few over the years. Can you give me an idea of uh, kind of the, the, the division of sightings? Is it mostly humanoid-type winged creatures, or is it split 50-50, or how does it divide up? I would say more recently it's been more humanoid. And, of course, you know, that's... That seems to be the thing going on now. I mean, these things, these sightings and stuff, kind of work in cycles. But uh, you know, before that, it was most likely either a either a thunderbird type sighting, large bird, right? Possibly a pterosaur like being. Uh, but I, I'd say more recently, in the past four or five years, it's been winged humanoids. When you look back in the history of these types of sightings, how far back do these winged creatures appear in uh, sighting reports or even maybe uh, some kind of mythology, and uh, uh, specifically the humanoid kind? No, it goes back a long way. Um, there have been a lot of, um, you know, people talk about the Mothman as being a harbinger, like what, you know, associated right. with this the Silver Bridge collapse in, in Point Pleasant. Right. But there have been other reports over the years. You know, I think most of those historical reports refer to these things as either demons or even angels, uh, as opposed to anything else. Right. And, um, you know, there's, there's usually been a spiritual connotation to it. Uh, many times they really get, didn't give it a physical aspect but more of a uh non-corporeal aspect but you know there are some that are fairly interesting uh you know some of the older stories that go back into antiquity uh but yeah it's mostly something to do spiritually you know a lot of the descriptions of these creatures tend to uh incorporate or observe bat-like features is that common yeah that's more common than it had been Yes, it is. And, and why that is, is, is kind of strange. You know, when we started getting the uh, reports out of Chicago, in fact, there had been three reports in Chicago in 2011. And the wing structure was somewhat different 
than what people have been describing recently. And some of the early reports in 2017 were either like insectoid or mothman or moth-like wing structure. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of evolved into the, the owl wing structure. We had a few of those reports. But then beyond that, it was mostly the gargoyle bat wing structured wing. Does do you think there's any significance to what whether it's a bat like wing or it is a moth like wing or whatever it happens to be? Do you think first of all, do you think that people are interpreting them differently? It might be the same creatures, or do you think these are completely different creatures? Yeah, I think I think it, it could very well be the same thing. You know, people interpret things much differently than others. It, I guess it's all perspective, but um, it, it is interesting when you you get. And this is one thing about Chicago that that interested me. You know, certain areas of the city where there be sightings because of uh, the the socioeconomic uh, uh, makeout. Of, of that area, in particular, like Little uh, little Mexico or Little Village. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of sightings there, mostly Hispanic uh, population, and these witnesses were calling it a devil or, uh, you know, some kind of a demon for the most part. Uh, those were all the bat wing, you know, type of sightings. Uh, we, we even got sketches of these things um then you know others in other parts of the city really didn't know what they were looking at very few of them called it demons though the one description that did kind of stick out for most sightings and not only in chicago is this connection with what the jeepers creepers creature looked like oh yeah from the movie mm-hmm. and I, i've had many even my other there are other researchers i've had many uh, connections with that type of uh, being. So, you know, I don't know if uh, if it was the same being. I do believe at the time in 2017, we were talking about at least three different beings, three different creatures <clears throat> that were showing up in different areas. So, you know, because there did seem to be a, a few differences, but nothing very major. What's your interpretation before we get too much further here? I want to know what your opinion is as to the origin of these creatures. First of all, do you think they're flesh and blood? And if they are or aren't, do you think they're somehow supernatural? I think they are flesh and blood. I think they're supernatural. Now, when I say supernatural, I mean that in a way that I don't think they're indigenous, but they're able to come into our earth plane, our our reality from another one. Now, how they do that, I don't know. I um, that's the enigma. And of course, you know, when you've had witnesses who state to you that they have seen these things literally disappear, like it went through an invisible doorway, then you got to kind of really think it out that you know maybe there is something very supernatural about this phenomena. You brought up the word evil. I know other people have brought up the word evil, demonic. Yeah. Do you associate any of those words with these things from your perspective? You know, nothing that I have seen so far even suggests that they're evil. Uh, why they're here, you know, that we don't know. Are they a summoned being? 
Are they like a sentinel of some type or you know, are they just curious? I don't know. But they, uh, you know, I don't believe that they're evil at all. Some, um, some suggest that the Mothman was, a, uh, was trying to warn people of the collapse of the Silver, the impending collapse of the Silver Bridge. Others blame the Mothman for the collapse of the Silver Bridge. Let's go with the blame crowd for a second. If, there was, if the Mothman was truly responsible for that disaster, then you could maybe put some evil in there. Yeah, if I believed that was what happened, yeah. But I don't think that's what happened. I, I don't buy into the Harbinger theory, Portland of Doom theory. Uh, you know, there there had been sightings in and around the uh, the Point Pleasant area about a year before the bridge collapsed. And uh, I, I believe when this tragedy did happen, being in a small town where 46 people died as a result, I think most people were kind of looking for an excuse or something to explain why it actually happened. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I'm just, I want you to continue with your thought, but you think it was just a coincidence. Oh yeah, I think so. And you know, there have been other incidents of uh, disasters where people kind of after the fact stated, Oh, I saw this or saw that right beforehand, like Fukushima, uh, the, uh, the bridge collapse in Minneapolis. Uh, the only the only instance that I can find where there was actually sightings of a winged being was the Blackbird of Chernobyl, and those were documented sightings. I mean, this large black bird-like entity was seen flying over the reactor days before the the uh, the accident. So. Was that attributed to it? Maybe. Was that a warning? It could have been. But that's the only one I can really find that has any type of, uh, you know, connection to the actual disaster. As far as the Mothman story goes, again, it's the one I'm most familiar with, and it seems to be uh, kind of the anchor that a lot of these other stories refer to. Where do you think it ranks in terms of credibility and significance among all of the uh, sighting stories that you have uh, researched and collected? Oh, I think it's credible. I think people actually did encounter this being, especially those that encountered it at the uh, West Virginia Ordnance Works, what people call the TNT plant. Yeah. Um, I, I think they really did. Now, this this being was somewhat aggressive. It actually seemed to come after... Uh, the people involved and actually chased them to chase their car on a couple occasions. Um, the Mothman of Point Pleasant, in my opinion, was a summoned being. And I say that because of the heavy spiritual activity that is still there, was there, has been there for years. And, uh, you know, over the years, I have heard EVPs in the area, uh, looked at evidence from other people. I believe there was a very strong energy, let's put it that way, that summoned this being as a protector or a sentinel of some type. And, you know, people may not know this, but these Mothman-like creatures are still seen in and around Point Pleasant. 
I, I don't think people hear that very often anymore. But I, I, I mean, the, the the million dollar question here becomes, and I don't know if you have a theory on this, but if there's if if the Mothman was summoned, summoned by whom? Uh, a strong uh, indigenous spirit, most likely from one of the tribes that lived in the area. So do you think it was some type of, um, you said sentinel, but do you think there, that this was maybe a, a revenge move for what was happening in the area from uh, as the land was stolen from native populations? Possibly. Hmm. Yeah, possibly. That's a really interesting theory. Um, I imagine, you know, you, you know more about those indigenous people uh, than I do, uh, but are they still located in the area? No. No. Uh, Actually, the majority of the Indian tribes that had been there, and there were quite a few over the years, but at the time of the uh, the colonial settlements and some of the warring between tribes was mostly Shawnee. And uh, the Shawnee actually came out of um, uh, out of Pennsylvania, moved westward into Ohio, into West Virginia, and they've moved off since then. Uh, there are several uh, small reservations and but most of the Shawnee have intermingled with other tribes, but that was the uh, that was the the uh, uh, the tribe that that had most of the history in the area, and I believe that that's the the uh, where this spirit is coming from. As you look back at some of these descriptions that we talked about earlier, some of these creatures with bat-like features, some with owl-like features, some with neither of the above, but other things. Um, do you think there's any shape-shifting going on here? It's possible. You know, there there are uh, several shape-shifting type entities that people have described or seen over the years. I guess the biggest one in particular would be like the, um, the uh, Skinwalker, which is basically a witch that transforms into another being. Uh, you know, there have people that there are people that associate most cryptids with some type of shape shifting abilities. Uh, I believe it's it's possible. I you know I I don't really have much evidence to prove that, but you know I I'm kind of open to everything at this point, and you know it may possibly happen. Well, you got to have an open mind about this stuff, right? I mean, if you start oh, yeah. if you start investigating with a closed mind, you'll never you never recognize the truth truth when you come across it. And I think the only way that we're going to get answers to a lot of this phenomena is keeping an open mind. Let's talk about Chicago specifically, because it seems to be a particularly active location for some of this stuff. What's been going on there? Well, ever you know, we had, like I said before, we had the three sightings in 2011. Those sightings were reported to to MUFON, and uh, you know the, the information that we had was only that that was provided to MUFON. Um, then in 2017, MUFON received several sighting reports, which you know you can you could see it on their CMS system, but you couldn't really um, get much personal information or have the ability to go talk to them. We were able to track at least two of those witnesses down uh, and eventually talk to them. And as time went by, uh, we started receiving the reports directly. Uh, We made it known that, you know, we were taking reports and uh, 
you know, we got the bulk of the reports from what I can see, because quite frankly, I had, you know, after over a hundred citing reports that we believe are credible, uh, I don't really see a whole lot being reported by anybody else. So, uh, you know, when you get that many reports, you, you got to wonder how many people aren't actually reporting it. So I'm quite confident that there have been a lot of sightings that we just never heard of. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 know, I know in certain instances, you there's like a factor of 100. You know, for every one person that reports it, there's, there are 99 that didn't. Um, I don't know if it holds true with something like this, but it's certainly there's certainly a large part of the population that, for whatever reason, in a lot of cases they don't want to be ridiculed, won't report something like this. Oh, sure. That happens a lot. Um, you know, the, the settings in Chicago are, are very distinct and interesting for a number of reasons, but mostly because um, when we did get a report, and many times it was right after the incident, that they would find us by Googling uh, wing being wings, whatever, on, you know, on Google, and our name would pop up, and they'd contact us right away. And the most the most interesting part of the sighting reports was that when they gave you the information of what they saw, they did not embellish on it. Mm. And that's something that very rarely happens in cryptid reports and research. Uh, you know, you and I even tried to get people to expound on what they saw, and they wouldn't do it. So uh, they were very credible. And what do you think that what do you think the reason is for them for them to act a, a slightly out of character in that respect? Well, you know, th- that's one thing we have really been pondering. I don't know if these witnesses have had something imprinted on them mm. during the encounter, but it it's mostly a very profound reaction to what they have seen. Sometimes they get a a feeling of, uh, oh, I don't know, dread, uh, that it, it, it seems very important that they let someone know what they saw, but, you know, they they just never, you know, they never uh, embellished on the sighting report. And uh, many times these witnesses uh, allowed me to have other team members talk to them as well. So, you know, a lot of times that's not even possible. Recently, and, 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 and I know it's, uh, you know, recently is a term that can be used in a lot of different ways, but these sightings uh, continue. And um, there's actually been some near O'Hare Airport, which might be a little bit concerning, but uh, what's the deal with that stuff? Well, it seems since October of last year, most of the reports coming out of the Chicago area have happened either in Rosemont, which is a uh, a northeast suburb of the airport, yep, and on the airport grounds themselves. And um, they've been some very profound sightings, and uh, close and personal as well. And, and some of them have possibly had some extraterrestrial uh, involvement with it. So, you know, we're kind of, you know, we had some thoughts that maybe there may be some non-terrestrial activity 
or that these may be terrestri- on terrestrials. But after uh, the one sighting in particular where the woman said that she saw this winged being with a, a gray alien and two other humanoid, female humanoids, uh, it kind of got us thinking a bit about it. So um, and there, there have been a few things that have kind of got us thinking in some other directions. Yeah, I mean, you've just opened up a whole new door here. When you start um, uh, merging these two phenomena, and you're talking about winged cryptids and extraterrestrial origins, that opens up a whole bunch of possibilities. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's kind of made its way into other winged cryptid sightings, but not to the degree that uh, these sightings have. Uh, And especially around... O'Hara, because it has a history of UFO activity. And uh, one of the UFO, recent UFO sightings, uh, I believe may be actually associated with these, these, these humanoids. I mean, you know, that's not necessarily something that, that um, we should dismiss in any way, because let's face it, if, if we are having these UFO sightings, we don't know what's piloting those. We don't know what kind of creature. It very well could be a, a, a winged cryptid type creature. And then when we have people saying, yeah, well, have you ever seen an alien running around? They say, no, but we've seen winged cryptids. Well, what's to say those aren't, those aren't extraterrestrial in origin? Exactly. And, you know, the, the, the more recent UFO sighting, uh, at O'Hara was, I think it was March. I'm not quite sure what month it was, but this gentleman who had a, um, who was in, you know, working a cargo worker and he was out on a smoke break. Now this was on the, the Western side of O'Hara, but this cargo area was near. And many people don't know this. There's a small cemetery in O'Hara. It's called Rest Haven Cemetery. It's it's a very small cemetery, but this cargo area was near this cemetery, and he was outside having a smoke, and he noticed this very bright oval UFO suddenly appear above the cemetery. And as he watched this thing, some humanoid of some origin literally ascended up into the UFO. And of course, we asked him, well, "Did this thing have wings?" And he's, you know, he couldn't tell if it did or not. Mm-hmm. But he said it was definitely humanoid. And you know, he was out in the middle of the cemetery in O'Hara at one o'clock in the morning, you know, being abducted, um, and that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So, uh, I, I really believe that this has some type of connection with what people are seeing. And as far as uh, winged humanoid sightings on the airport grounds itself, uh, there have been reports, incredible reports, because one of them came from a TSA security guy, and the other came from a security officer for one of the uh, cargo companies. And they've seen these things. And, uh, you know, they're shocked by what they're seeing, and but they're very credible witnesses. The uh, O'Hara management has tried to downplay this whole scenario yeah. from the very beginning. Yeah, they keep telling people that they must have seen a large owl. You know, I've had people that have been told this who work at O'Hara. 
they're they're telling they're telling their employees and TSA people and everything not to mention it. But we're lucky. We've been lucky enough to have a few people come forward and tell us what's being seen. I find it interesting that your initial encounter, the first time you had an encounter with a winged cryptid type creature, you said that it took off. It basically went straight up and you couldn't explain that by a pair of wings flapping. And now we're talking about an extraterrestrial connection. I'm starting to see a pattern. Well, and when people do see in, in Chicago sightings, most of these sightings, these uh, these beings actually uh, ascend the same way. It's just like they are a little rocket jumping yeah. up, you know, going into the air. They they very rarely use their wings at all. So you know, when you talk supernatural, well, I believe that's supernatural. There's yeah. something something there. Yeah, it is. And I, d- I have to pass on a question from our chat room as well. And I know you kind of touched on this. You mentioned the word anyway. Um, what about the possibility that there is an angelic connection to this? I don't know. You know, I, if, if you do read the book, there have been people that have described these uh, winged cryptids as angels or large angels. But as far as what's going on in Chicago, I haven't really found any angelic entity type connection there i you know it, it's possible since we really have no answers to what these things are but uh i don't believe that's what it is it seems it be it seems a little odd for if they were angels in some form to present themselves that way because even if they're not intending to be evil if these are these creatures are are uh you know benevolent but they they have a menacing look to them and it seems like an odd way for an angel to present itself yeah they don't show much benevolence but then of course they're not benevolent either so right right. Uh, they just seem to be kind of curious and uh why they're here we don't know uh we haven't been you know another interesting thing we haven't been receiving reports of attacks uh i mean you know something that's very aggressive uh we had one report where it landed on the hood of a couple uh they're it was kind of scratching the windshield trying to get in from what they determined but that's about as close as it gets uh we haven't had reports of animals missing in the city pets and such uh that they've been you know grabbing feeding on or whatever i none of that i mean these sightings are fleeting sightings they're, they happen, and they're gone, and uh, that's why we're not getting photographs. <clears throat> some are at night, some are during the day, but they're just fleeting sightings. And by the time the witness, you know, comes out of the fog of shock, uh, they don't have time to grab for a phone and take a photograph. These things are gone. Yeah. Yeah, that seems to be the case in a lot of this type of thing. It's just it happens so quickly. There's just no time. Everybody says everybody's carrying a cell phone with a foot with a camera. Why can't they get a picture? There's just no time. And you know, yeah, and, but- and and that's it. you have to also account for that initial startled uh, emotion that it takes you a second to gather yourself before you can even uh, think about a camera. Exactly. Uh, you know, I get complaints about that all the time, but. Uh- you know, if you, you really think about it, and it happens in other type of cryptid sightings, even Bigfoot, very rarely a close encounter is going to result in a photograph because of shock value. Interesting. Um, 
why write the book? I mean, you've done a lot of research on this, so I suppose these are stories you just felt had needed to be told, and um, you know, people have to start paying attention to this stuff. That's most of the reason why I write my books to kind of make people aware of what's been going on. Um, for the most part, I, I, I try to concentrate on cases and sightings that have been reported to me. That's the instance in this book. Uh, these are all cases that I have been involved with or have had personally or something, you know, that I've worked with the eyewitnesses or talked to the eyewitnesses. So, um, you know, I thought, you know, this phenomenon needed to have a little more light put on it. I did, you know, I did uh, uh, write the uh, Mothman Dynasty book uh, about the Chicago humanoids, which covered the first year of the sightings. And, uh, you know, after writing a, a, an alien disclosure book with, you know, cases I had worked on with people, I decided that the Wing Cryptid book was kind of a, a next step for the Mothman Dynasty book. So I covered the uh, the wing humanoid sightings in and around Chicago um, up until recent times. And then I put in other phenomena, wing phenomena that I've been associated with. Uh, one of our chatters also asked the question about Thunderbirds. Any recent sightings or relatively recent sightings of Thunderbird-type creatures? Not really. We do get an occasional sighting. Uh, most of the sightings either come out of, uh, Western Pennsylvania, the upper Midwest and, and Texas that seemed to be the hot spots for that type of activity. But as far as actual Thunderbird sightings, they, they seem to be somewhat sparse. <clears throat> yeah, they do. They don't, we don't hear about them nearly as much. Um, mm-hmm. I know you've researched and written about other cryptid phenomena as well. And I want to go back to this concept of evil because one of the cryptids, and you mentioned this, this particular one a couple times tonight already is these, uh, you know, these um, bipedal uh, canines, you know, dog men, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. Every time I hear someone who has had an experience with a dog man sighting, they always talk about a very deep sense of foreboding and menacing from these creatures. Have you heard the same thing? Yeah, yeah, we've been investigating this phenomena nationwide, but in, in particular here in Pennsylvania. And um, these entities, and I, I describe them as upright canines because there's a lot of different types of sightings, and some people call them dog, dog men or dog man or right. something else. I, I just call them upright canines. Most most of what I describe as dog man is basically a quad quadruped, <clears throat> and that looks somewhat different. Okay. Has like a high hyena look to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do get those up here, uh, but moreover, the the uh, the upright canines, the bipedal canines, these are huge creatures, <clears throat> and I'm talking anywhere from eight to ten foot in height. Uh, very broad-shouldered, thin torso, muscular arms and legs, very menacing. Yeah. And uh, large wolf-like heads. Uh, they can be a bit aggressive, but the one aspect to them is that they hold their ground. It's right. not like a Bigfoot that'll run off. They will stand their ground. 
And uh, I've had actual hunters that have been armed walk up on these creatures and just literally back away. Don't don't even think twice about taking a shot at it. And do so they, do, I don't know if it has something to do with uh, some type of abilities that these upright canines have to kind of alleviate them from thinking they ought to take a shot at it. Uh, I think the the mere presence of these things is is enough to have someone back off. Do they travel in packs like a like uh, wolves or coyotes or something would? <clears throat> these seem to be sedentary. You know, I mean, excuse me. Uh, um, they, you know, we talk about the lone wolf theory. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think they're mostly, um, uh, they, they're kind of singular for the most part. Very rarely you're here or more than one. I recently had a report down in Louisiana of two. Uh, there was a specific part of Louisiana where there have been a couple of sightings recently. And uh, one of those sightings involved two upright canines. But moreover, it doesn't happen. It's mostly one one being at a time. And what about um, the idea that any of these could be some type of um, shape-shifting werewolf-type creature? Well, it's possible, I suppose. Um you know, I'm not going to come right out and say, ah, we got werewolves, but, you know, we, you know, you, you, like I said before about the skinwalkers, and, of course, some of these sightings, they do seem, these beings do seem to have, like, a supernatural aspect to them. Uh, they either have a gleam to it or kind of an aura to it that kind of seems like it, it may be something other than a, uh indigenous being, but... Honestly, I haven't heard of any uh, any werewolves with clothes or anything like that being seen. Yeah, right. I, I think um, you know, as far as the uh, the Wolfman, you know, werewolf phenomena, I don't I don't think that's what's going on. You know, as far as what these things actually are. Again, this may be an interdimensional species because we have had reports where they just suddenly show up and don't even be seem to be aware of their surrounding when they do show up. So uh, this may very well be another interdimensional entity. We've talked about these winged cryptids. We've talked about uh, canine-type cryptids. What other uh Creatures have you been keeping, you and your team actually, been keeping an eye out for and taking reports on? Well, more recently, these pale humanoids, tall, mostly tall, emaciated pale humanoid sightings that have been popping up all over the place in recent years. Um, some people think they're wendigos. Some people call them rakes, flesh gates crawlers they have all assortment of names and they they do have some differences but for the most part they seem to be either six or seven foot in height very thin uh hairless with large bald heads uh, some do seem to be have issues with moving about uh they don't seem to be aggressive. 
but then again, they don't really seem to be bothered by people either. So, um, you know, this is something we're really starting to look into recently. Uh, we've had some reports here in Pennsylvania, but I've had reports all over the country as well. So are they Wendigos? You know, that's a possibility. I mean, this Wendigo, we know the Wendigo is a supernatural being. Uh, from most accounts, they're like a cannibalistic flesh-eating being that uh, is much more aggressive than what we've been seeing. <clears throat> we... um have a lot of people that contact the program who have had encounters of one kind or another themselves. If they want to share their story with you, how would they do it? It's pretty easy. All they got to do is either send me an email at lawnstricklerphantomsandmonsters.com or even call my number, which is 410-241-5974, or they can go to the website, phantomsandmonsters.com, and click on the link to uh, contact me. Uh, Lon, you've done more work, work than just on cryptids. Uh, tell me about your alien disclosure book. Well, I have been working with alien experiencers for many years now. Uh, a few in particular, people who have had uh, either abduction accounts or have been abducted. Um, and, you know... It, it, it's kind of hard for these people to get their stories out. Uh, MUFON will only do that to a certain degree. Uh, that kind of leaves people hanging, so they usually find someone else that will listen to their story and, and actually do the investigations. That's usually where I come in at. And uh, I've been involved with quite a number over the years. Uh, some pretty scary ones as well. It's... Um, you know, some some of these encounters have been benevolent, where people have been cured of uh, diseases or uh, maladies. Uh, that has happened and does happen. But there are other instances where uh, people have been experimented on, have been uh, put, you know, taken to like a laboratory situation aboard either craft or someplace else many times it's uncertain and have had uh have had been looked at or explored or i i hate to say the word uh <laughs> probed <laughs> but, <Go ahead. laughs> yeah probed but uh it it, it 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 varies but they uh it does happen and there have been a lot of stories uh, as far as what people have seen over the years. And, uh, you know, I've kind of collected most of them. And, and I decided at the time I was going to write something that included all the uh, these encounters that I've been involved with. And that's why Alien Disclosure, Experiences Exposed Reality was written. Are these... Um encounters alien encounters that people are reporting are they increasing decreasing in frequency you're staying about the same i i don't really know i i i don't get a lot of them but it seems the ones i do get are pretty intense um you know you read about these all the time uh i i think a lot of people believe that they've had experiences like this and and just really haven't. 
you know, I've received a lot of them over the years where it just didn't add up. But there have been a few that have left an impression on me. We seem to have been turning a corner on some of these uh, things. I mean, as far as attitudes in the public, you know, and as you mentioned, you know, a a lot of, uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago, uh, almost no one would come forward with these stories because they were afraid of ridicule. I think that if there's any benefit to some of these reality programs on television is they're starting to make people realize that they're not alone and they can start talking about some of this stuff. Yeah, that's the overall impression. I'm not saying that the production quality of a lot of these shows is that great, but right. it kind of does uh, allow people to think that, well, maybe I can come forward and tell my story. And uh, I, I think the Internet and these TV programs have done that. Um, I, I know people are, are, you know, have held stories for decades and because of the changing in attitude now, they, they have finally come forward. I get that a lot. Uh, there have people, there have been people that have had been living with these, um, these encounters, not knowing what had happened or had no explanation and no real outlet. And uh, they're starting to come forward now. A lot of people think that there's actually a significant change in the government as well as they re- the military releases videos mm-hmm. and uh, no longer uh, tries to explain them away, although they don't go as far as saying these are extraterrestrial. They say they are definitely unidentified and we can't explain them, which gives those who are looking for some type of uh, acknowledgement from the military that these exist as a very large step forward. What do you think? Do you think the government's starting to... Uh, change and maybe offer this drip drip of disclosure yeah it's drip dip it's mostly being spoon fed i think um there's a lot of stuff that has happened that they could come forward with uh they've really had have only had two decent disclosures in recent years uh but when it comes to uh actual encounters in alien abduction, uh, they're mum about that. That's just yeah. not going to, and that, they're just not going to disclose that. The, th- those type of uh, encounters will not be disclosed unless they absolutely have to start doing it for some reason. Uh, I, I just don't believe the government's going to come forward on that because they just, in my opinion, know too much. And when you say the government disclosing this stuff, do you do you mean that they have information about uh, humans that have been abducted? And um, they don't won't disclose that. Are you talking about the government actually having possession of extraterrestrial uh, bodies and evidence? Both. Okay. Definitely both. Uh, I think, um, you know, let's take Roswell, for instance. Now, Roswell, I believe, did actually happen. But the follow up, I don't believe, was the truth. I, you know, uh I don't believe the bodies were taken to Wright-Patterson right. Air Force Base. I, I do have an idea where they were taken to, though for obvious reasons I don't want to really say a whole lot. Uh, but I, I have had some confirmation that proves to me that there, there are other government facilities where they have been taken at, where uh, either bodies or, or even craft or, and, and other evidence has been collected and um 
yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot that we're not being told as far as that goes. Uh, as far as people being allowed to be abducted, I don't know. I don't know. You know, you hear a lot of uh, a lot of different theories about that. I, I think the government and most governments are quite aware of that. Uh, I, I think there has been some cooperation between the governments and um, and these beings in some degree. Uh, but any spe- any specific information is just not really available. It's all speculation for the most part. So when you say governments are, are collaborating, do you mean they're collaborating in, in uh, cover-up or, dis- or withholding information? Both, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah both. And I, I think it's just not the United States either. I mean, most major most major powers have had their, their thumb in this to some degree. I'm always waiting for like a, a second or third world government to get some kind of knowledge and to not care that the first world nations don't want it released and actually release something, you know, um, I don't know if that that's possible. That's going to happen, but uh, that may happen. That may actually happen at some point. Uh, some of the Latin American countries, especially in South America have, um, have released a lot of very interesting information over the years, but from people I have talked to in those areas, they've been pushed back by, especially NASA and the, the U S government. So, uh, you know, they may initially try to get the information out there, but it's usually shut up pretty quickly. Right, right. Lon, we're almost out of time here. Um, what um, what do you've got working on next? I know the I know the Wing Creatures book is uh, you know, Wing Cryptids book is basically new, but I know you always got a project in the works. Well, I I'm actually I, in fact I just uh, I just released it or excuse me I just uh, uploaded it today. We were releasing a second edition. Uh, the Mothman Dynasty Chicago Wings Humanoid book. Hmm. That'll be available for sale. That's been updated a bit. Uh, as far as next book, I don't know. You know, I, <laughs> I've been wanting to do something about the upright canines, especially what we've been working on here in Pennsylvania. But this other humanoid, these humanoids that people are seeing is very intriguing. And there are more and more sightings and more information being disclosed each day. So it's either going to be one of those, but then again, when something else happens, it may go to that. That's happened to me so many times now. Uh, that alien disclosure book was sitting on the shelf for about five or six years before I finally had the time to write it because uh, I found a I found a window to do it because <laughs> something else wasn't going on. But there does seem to be a lot going on all the time. You know, you know, I, I've been doing this now for forty years, and I'm I'm rarely, sh- I'm I'm really shocked about what I hear. I mean, there's something yeah. new coming up, but you know, it doesn't really surprise me. Uh, we do live in a weird world and in weird times now. And there's always something weird to talk about and report, right? Always. Oh yeah, there there's always seems to be something that you know, you can kind of delve into and try to figure out what's going on. I'm not saying you're going to be successful, but, uh, you know, we just try to do what we can. 
Well, you're doing a great job, a lot of great work, Lana. We appreciate you sharing it with us uh, in the form of your books and also coming on the program here to talk about it. Um, keep us informed with what you've got next because we always want to hear about it. Oh, sounds good. I'll let you know. And the website, again, phantomsandmonsters.com. Almost everything we talked about tonight can be found there. People can get information about the books and, and your other work, right? Yeah, it's all there. Terrific. Thanks for, thanks for your time, and uh, we'll have you back real soon. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.